Welcome to the Equestrian Business Podcast, the show that talks about business for equestrians. If you're an equestrian business owner who wants more revenue, more profit, and a better work-life balance in your business, and you're looking for dry, humoured, no-nonsense business advice, you're in the right place. Whether you're just getting started or whether you've been in the equestrian game for decades, I'm going to give you the tools, the strategies, systems, techniques, and a splash of philosophy on what you can do to have more fun, a better work-life balance, and more money in your equestrian business. listening to the Equestrian Business Podcast. Uh, I just want to take a quick second to apologise for the lack of episode last week because I have had the most horrendous flu and cough. So if you notice that my voice isn't its usual, I'm sorry, isn't its usual velvet larynx self, it is why. Um, And I couldn't actually speak last week without bursting into a coughing fit, so I had to postpone recording. Also, I didn't really have any idea of what I wanted to come on and talk about. Having seen a few posts online and just what my clients have said to me over the last week, I think this is the episode to take us back in time a little bit. I'm going to take us back 10 years. So this episode's all about how to sell, especially how to sell without being um, I quote, sleazy. And these are the things that I learned when I first went into self-employment. So I'm taking us back about 10 years when I had the pre-mama waistline and I was pretty new in my work as an equine psychologist. I had qualified from, so graduated from Bishop Burton College um, the year previously. I'd done a little bit of traveling. I'd come back from Spain um, working with horses in a bitless and barefoot retreat. And I had a pretty decent amount of experience behind me because I was raised in a riding school and I was always given the, um, and I quote, naughty horses um, and be tasked with reschooling them to make them safe for beginners. So I had a pretty extensive and good track record behind me of producing horses um, and working with the more problematic, um, bolshy, rude horses. When I was at Bishop Burton, um, as much as I enjoyed my time there, I hated it at the same time. Um, It certainly led me to question a lot of traditional horsemanship methods, being surrounded by a lot of different people uh, with different ideas, different opinions and different ways of doing things but the vast majority of these people seemed to be the old school pony club give them a crack with a whip and stick them in a stronger bit kind of club Um, I'd studied equine psychology in depth just for fun at this point um, doing some intensive research into you know peer reviewed veterinary studies learning everything that I could from different equine psychologists and equine behaviourists, and I still continue to do so to this very day, although I am now actually qualified in equine psychology as well. And I was also qualified as a riding instructor. This was quite new to me when I was 19. But anyway, jumping in, I had this raging fire in my heart for defending equine welfare 
and an extensive skill set up my sleeve in producing young and difficult horses. Despite only being young, I had a pretty decent amount of experience behind me. I travelled internationally working with horses and I'd also produced a lot of horses myself for the riding school which my mum managed. And I had a lot of transformations under my belt. So I had this pretty decent track record. And I decided that this was what I wanted to be my my area of focus because I really cared about equine welfare and I feel and I still feel to this day that horses are absolute saints of animals. They put up with so much shit that we put them through. Like things that we wouldn't dream of doing to any other animal, we think it's absolutely perfectly fine to do to a horse. And I've always been a massive advocate of just improving equine welfare throughout the world and educating equestrians on kinder, softer, better horsemanship practices that have better results and make make just interacting with horses safer for horses and safer for the people who are handling them. So I had a method and my method basically just involved observation, reading the horse's body language, finding out what that horse was giving out before, during and after the unwanted, undesired or dangerous behaviour that I was there to solve. And once I pinpointed the problem, I would start problem solving and rehabbing by stripping straight back to the basics and laying those new foundations. Please bear in mind, I was only 19. I had no clue about marketing at the time and I wasn't trying to market my services. I was simply banging my drum and being loud and vocal about improving equine welfare and helping horses. I began by sharing the transformations in my own mare, and I would share studies, scientific research, and I would discuss my thoughts and theories online. Um, I was that person who always had something to say on Facebook, and I suppose I very much am to this day. Um, I still don't shy away from giving my opinion on things and being quite loud and being quite outspoken. Um, looking back, I could certainly have been more diplomatic about the things that I said, but this abrupt, unapologetic outspokenness is what attracted people to me. It's why certain people wanted to work with me, and those who didn't want to work with me ran a million miles in the opposite direction. And I can't really say that that's a bad thing, because who actually wants to work with someone who thinks you're a bit of a dick. I don't. Um, and eventually, a small handful of people reached out to me, asking for advice, asking to pick my brains, asking me questions about things that I knew all about, naturally. Um, and yeah, a few people reached out to me and I agreed to go help this small Irish cob who was just over the other side of the Humber Bridge. So I travelled from where I lived in Leeds with my parents over to the other side of the Humber Bridge. And this little cob had been dragging his owner around. And when driven in his car, he'd managed to flip himself into a ditch. So he'd caused himself and his owner a little bit of trauma. Uh, there was a lot going on. There was a lot to unpack. I spent about four weeks just stripping him straight back to the basics, 
reading his reactions, finding out the causes of his behaviour. And by the end of the second week, I had his owner back on board, confidently riding him fitness and bearing in mind she was extremely nervous and she thought she would never be able to get back on him. Like she thought he had gone above the point of return, shall we say. She thought he was never going to come back because he was really rude, really bolshy. He was tanking off. He was rude to lead. He was bad in the stable. She thought she would never be able to get him back because she was only a mother herself. So we'd made some fantastic progress. And that's when I realised I could really use some money. And I'm really good at what I do. So I started inviting people to pay for my services. And guess what? They started giving me money. It was as simple as that. So I would generate leads by talking about the ways that I help difficult, problematic horses become sane and level-headed. That's all I did. Now, bearing in mind, I didn't know what a lead was. I just knew that talking about it and constantly trying to position myself as the expert meant that people went, oh yeah, she knows what she's talking about. She talks about that a lot. That's clearly her area of expertise. And without realising, I positioned myself as an authority. I positioned myself as the person that you turn to when your horse is acting like a bit of a clown to try and find out what's going on. And I had the proof. I would show the proof that my methods worked by talking about the transformations, by showing the progress in the horses. I would share the videos of when we started working, I would share videos of what I'm doing with the horses, I would explain what I'm doing with the horses, and I would explain how I've gone from point A to point B, and what my backup plans were if that wasn't going to work. And you could see me working in real time, and it was very, very transparent about what I was doing. So, when people started inquiring, I would simply say, yes, of course I can help you with that. What we're going to do is we're going to start off with X, and then we're going to, when we start getting some really good results, what we're going to do is we're going to move on to Y, and then by the end of the training and by the end of this four-week programme, you will have Z. To work with me, this programme costs £45 an hour. That's all I did. When people said, my horse is doing this, my horse is doing that, I can't get my horse to do this, my horse is bombing off with me, my horse won't jump a fence, my horse is refusing to get on the lorry, my horse is being really rude in the stable, my horse won't come out the field, I can't catch him, I would just tell them how I'm going to solve the problem and how much those sessions are going to be. And guess what? People said, okay, that's great, when can I book in? Now that's all well and good when you have a steady stream of people coming to you and inquiring. I got a lot of word of mouth referrals, but as usual, word of mouth only gets you so far. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to cough and start to mute myself for a quick second. But yeah, if you have people coming to you, this is great. But what do you do when you feel invisible and you have no inquiries, your inbox is quiet as the Sahara Desert at midnight and there is, there is absolutely no one out there? 
what do you do when your business is invisible to your customers and your clients? You get out there and you start offering help. So I went out and I proactively reached out and I spoke to people and explained how I could help them or their horse. So this was 10 years ago. Facebook groups were a pretty new thing and it was the rise of online arguments and unqualified Facebook experts giving awful and quite frankly sometimes abusive advice. And I soon learned how to cut through the noise. When I first saw a post on Facebook asking like, how can I get my horse to go on the horse box? He used to load perfectly and now he doesn't. Or when I saw posts saying, how can I get my horse to stop rearing? Or anything along those lines, anything that I had experience with correcting. I would then work through this little checklist. So first, I would have a look at their location. I'd have a cheeky click on their profile and I would have a look and see if I can access them or I can actually get to them to offer my services. This was the first and most essential check. Secondly, I'd read their tone of their message and I would see what kind of comments that they're liking and what they agree with and what they've responded. I'd see what they're saying in the comments. If they were siding with the give them a good crack with the whip commenters, I'd proceed with extreme caution and sometimes if I, if, if I just thought, you know what, this is not the person that I want to work with, I would move along completely because who's got time to argue with people online? Like, it, it's not for me. It's, it's, I suppose there's an old saying, um, I think it was something like arguing with an idiot is a bit like playing chess with a pigeon. It doesn't really matter who wins, the pigeon's still going to shit all over the board and strut around acting like it won anyway. So anyway, if they were completely opposite kind of person to what I want to work with, then I would give it a wide berth. But if I thought I would be able to change their opinion, I'd approach with caution. So how did I do this? First of all, I would start off by getting them on my side. So people don't like when you get their back up straight from the get-go. Obviously, no one does. Feels like an argument, they feel threatened, they get into a defensive mode, they're not going to listen to anything you have to say because they're in a defensive mode. So first, I'd start off by getting them on my side. I'd tell them a story about a horse that I've worked with who has similar symptoms to the horse or the symptoms that their horse is exhibiting. Then I'd explain that I was raised with traditional horsemanship methods and that I used to be a self-confessed control freak. Um, I'd explain that I used to love draw reins, I used to love all the gadgets and if a horse didn't do exactly what I said I would be the first person to dig my heels in and crack the whip. Then I'd explain why I've changed my mind, why I've done a full 180 away from this mindset, away from these techniques. I would share my success stories, explain how I would tackle their specific problem and how I can help them bring their horse back to a place of calm. And then I would simply invite them to work with me 
or book an initial assessment or get on the phone to discuss the problem further. Rather than getting their back up, rather than saying, oh, well, of course you're having this problem, it's because you're stressing your horse out when doing this, this and this, I would just quite simply persuade them over to my side. Because I have seen people argue in Facebook groups quite a few times, I know what they're going to say, I know what their objections are, and I know the same things and the same honestly bullshit that they keep telling themselves like oh my horse is too strong I'd never be able to ride him without a bit or I think bitless bridles are cool while they proceed to lead their horse around in a head collar without a bit all of these things that they've been telling themselves rather than jumping in and just completely attacking them I would bring them over to my side generally make friends and show them that I have a way that works and that I have been in their position. Empathising and showing that you have been in someone's position is so, so powerful. I didn't know why it was powerful at the time. I just knew it worked. I just used it because it worked. But the reason that it works is because we like to to be around people who resonate with us. So if someone has um, a story about when they come from a similar background to us, or maybe even a similar location, like geographically, we become more inclined to listen to them because our brain loves that familiarity. Familiarity, can't say it. Because our brain absolutely loves things that are familiar. That's why we're getting around it. And your brain also loves to have that tribe so when your brain feels it is surrounded by people like you you become more open and much more suggestible so that is why it works without even realizing i was doing some pretty deep sales psychology marketing and i only adopted this method because i'd seen so many arguments and so many discussions online and i knew exactly what a skeptic's reputations and objections would be and this meant that I knew exactly what to say I knew exactly how to present my argument in a way that challenged their beliefs without causing anger and by explaining that I've been in their position too why I changed my beliefs how I can show the proof that my method works and inviting them to come and see for themselves how it works and my final persuasive point was if it doesn't work you haven't lost anything. You simply pick back up the whip and you carry back on as you were. But I don't think you'll need to. So this was what saw a large growth in my client base. When I stopped waiting for people to come to me, I started putting myself in front of people who actually needed my help like, and directly asking them if I could help them was how I did it. I wasn't even focusing on the money. My mission was to help as many horses as I possibly could. And getting paid for it was just a perk. This was the key to selling without feeling sleazy. This right there. So I really want you to hone in on this. If you set off with the intentions of helping people and helping the horses that you work with, I mean genuinely wanting to help. Offering help never feels sleazy. If you saw an old lady struggling with heavy shopping bag, 
Would you feel sleazy if you offered her some help or assistance? Probably not. But I can hear you, don't worry. Oh, but I'd feel sleazy asking her for money, Rhiannon. Okay, but would you? What if you offered to take her shopping every single week? You're going to pick her up. You're going to help her run her run all of her errands, you're going to take her to the pharmacy to get her medicine, you're going to take her shopping, you're going to walk around the shop with her for an hour, you help her pick up all her stuff, help her bag it all up, help her carry it back to the car, you're going to take her down to the post office and run any other errands that she needs, um, maybe even take her to see her friends, and then you're going to give her a lift home. Would you still feel bad asking her to chip in a little bit of money for petrol, considering that you would be doing this for her every single week. I wouldn't. Especially not considering that the nurses and support workers who do these jobs don't feel sleazy asking for money to help her with these jobs. If you know that you can genuinely help someone, reach out and let them know. Invite them to work with you. Tell them why they'd be a good fit for you, why you'd be a good fit for them. People understand that we don't live in a free society and that they're, and they're not going to be absolutely mortified that you can't pay your bills by giving away free services or free products. Start asking, start inviting, start offering help. If you don't ask, you don't get. Stop sitting around, stop waiting for people to come to you and start actively reaching out to them. It is really going to have a massive impact on your sales. So if you want more sales, put yourself out there, start asking if you can help. I just want to take a quick moment to ask if you're actually listening to me. Because you clicked on this podcast, I presume, because you have some kind of negative feelings around selling and you don't know how to offer your services. Or you have some pretty rigid beliefs and fears in your head that are stopping you from selling with confidence. Or perhaps you can sell confidently, but you don't know why no one's listening. Or you just feel invisible and you have no idea how to get more eyes on your business for you to sell to these people. If that's you, then check this out. My Power Hour is a 90-minute mental block lifting, empowering session designed to focus on your marketing. We'll take a deep look at all aspects of your social media posts, your website, your messaging, what imagery you're using, and I'm going to explain in great length exactly what's going on inside your buyer's head when they look at your content. I'll explain exactly why you're not getting sales, and most importantly, I'll be giving you a fully actionable next step custom made plan just for you with no complicated methods around here as well as a detailed write-up of the session so that you can confidently start bringing in new customers and getting those amazing word of mouth referrals that are going to make you beam from ear to ear because the joy that you get when people absolutely love what you do and want to tell everybody who'll listen just how amazing you are. I can't even begin to tell you how good that feels and just how rewarding and warm and fuzzy that's going to make you feel inside. As if that wasn't enough, for the rest of February, 
When you book a power hour for £200, you'll be getting a free marketing audit thrown in. I usually charge about £100 for these, and it's a video recording that goes over all of your marketing content, so your social media, every one of your social media, by the way, your website, even your physical marketing materials, your traditional marketing materials, like your business cards, flyers and posters. And it's viewed from the eyes of your buyers, meaning that you actually get to understand your customers and you're going to have the upper hand in getting more sales because you'll know how to influence your audience on a much deeper level and really build a connection with them so that they see you as the trusted expert everybody wants to work with. But why is it so cheap? Well, as much as I insist on paying myself a fair salary, I know what it's like to start a business and have no support and have no money to invest in a business mentor. And even though I knew it's exactly what I needed when I was setting up um, my first consultancy firm, I just, I needed that little bit of help in this niche market I'd never been in before. And I couldn't afford the help because I had £17,000 worth of debt at the time. It takes a lot of work for me to offer these sessions. And despite all the money I've invested into studying marketing, business and equine studies as well, as well as equine markets specifically, I vowed to keep my services accessible for smaller businesses who really need the support. That's why I'm also accepting payment in two instalments as well. If price is still something that's preventing you from getting the business support that you need, then check this out. Throughout February, I'm offering several pay-as-you-feel audits. So this is where you get to decide how much you pay for my services based on what you feel it's worth and the benefit it's brought to you. In order to make sure the service isn't abused by people who can afford it at the full price of £100, you will need to provide proof of low sales or low income or that you receive some kind of benefit um, or welfare if you're in the US or anywhere else in the world. I want to help you start maximising the results from your marketing and get your business exactly where you want and need it to be, generating consistent income, having a steady stream of leads coming in and a steady stream of customers coming in who absolutely love what you do, love what you sell and can't wait to tell all of their friends about how amazing you are and how good you are at your job. If you'd like to talk to me about the Power Hour or the pay-as-you-feel audits, you can send me an email to rhiannon at equestrianbusinessspecialist.com or you can reach out to me on pretty much any social media platform by searching the Equestrian Business Specialist. I have been Rhiannon Amber, and in many ways, I still am. You've been listening to the Equestrian Business Podcast. And as always... You have been delightful for tuning in. I'll catch you next week.